Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. Jay Duker, who is Chief Operating Officer of iPoint Pharmaceuticals and also a professor of ophthalmology at the Tufts University School of Medicine. And we're here to talk about an exciting sustained delivery system for the treatment of AMD. Welcome back to Retina Synthesis, Jay Duker. Thank you, Carmen. Great to be back. Uh, thanks for the nice introduction. There's, there was a lot of interest at the Academy and the Davio trial, which was the, the name of your phase one trial for EYP1901, which is your compound. Can you give us an overview? Sure. Well, well first of all, everybody in retina knows about the unmet need here. Uh, but just to, to restate it simply, we've got some great drugs that work really well as anti-VEGFs. They're very safe and they're very effective, but they don't last very long. And it's really been a bit of a holy grail for many years to try to get true sustained release anti-VEGF. You know, companies have, have you know, tried different compounds and higher molar concentration. And now we have, you know, the refillable port FDA approved. So there's a lot of attempts at, at doing this. And, and so what we did at iPoint is, is take a technology that's been around actually for 25 years, which is the DuraCert technology. That's the same technology that's in the UTIC implant, in the Alluvian implant, it was in the Ganscycler implant and the Retacert. Uh, modify it to make it bioerodible by removing the polyamide shell uh, and using a small molecule tyrosine kinase inhibitor called virolinib as the anti-VEGF. So that is what EYP-1901 is. It's a bioerodible form of Duracert uh, with virolinib. Now, one of the unique aspects of virolinib, and one of the reasons it was selected by the company as the TKI, is that it's actually been tested through phase two for wet AMD, although as an oral drug. The drug at the time was called X82, and while it showed a pretty significant efficacy in the oral trials, there was too much systemic toxicity for allowing the, the trials to really go forward. So it never got out of phase two, but the company was encouraged by, first of all, the, the efficacy of the lack of ocular toxicity and the ability to put virulinib into our Duracert implant and have it release at rates uh, that should be effective in the eye. So just to give you some background on the Davio trial, that stands for Duracert and Virolinib in ophthalmology. Typical phase one safety was the, you know, the primary endpoint. Uh, we just recently reported the six-month interim results. It is a one-year study. And basically, it was 17 patients, all of whom had prior uh, treated wet macular degeneration. Uh, we didn't have any cutoffs for, you know, the response. We took all comers, some of which entered the trial dry, some of which entered the trial wet. Everybody got a standard of care injection on screening. And then a week later at day zero, they got EUAP-1901. And then we watched them. Uh, so we had the typical criteria for uh, rescue with standard of care, which was 75 microns of new fluid, new hemorrhage, or loss of two lines uh, due to wet AMD. And uh, we reported the results again at the AAO just recently, uh, the six-month results, and the safety really was, was, which is paramount for any drug in this space, the safety was excellent. We had no ocular SAEs, no drug-related systemic SAEs. The AEs that we had were all grade two or less from an ocular perspective, except for one, which was progression of the disease, and that wasn't drug-related. 
we had no endophthalmitis, we had no retinal detachment, we had no implant migration at the interchamber. None of the patients could see the implants. They didn't report any floaters. Uh, and interestingly, the implants are actually really hard to photograph. We've asked our site several times to try to get wide field pictures of them, but they sink down to the bottom of the vitreous cavity. And so they're actually really hard to photograph, which is bad in the sense if you want to try to follow how they degrade from a photographic perspective, but good because we don't think we're going to run into trouble with them actually physically blocking the visual axis. So safety looked great. Uh, and from an efficacy perspective, since it was a previously treated cohort, we wouldn't have expected any visual acuity improvements. Uh, we were hoping that the vision would not go down, and it didn't. Uh, uh, the whole cohort of 17 patients after six months had an average change of visual acuity of about minus two letters. Same for OCT, previously treated group. You don't expect the retinas necessarily to get drier, and they didn't. Uh, there was no real change in the OCTs at six months. I think it was, again, about two or three microns less uh, thickness on OCT, which is, you know, noise in the system. So from a rescue-free rate perspective, how many, you know, eyes could go a certain length of time without rescue? We had 76% that could go up to four months without rescue, which, again, if you compare it to farisimab, which is about 45% up to four months, it's favorable to farisimab. Uh, at the six-month interval, it was 53% up to six months rescue-free. Uh, up until last week, we still had eight out of 17 eyes uh, that were rescue-free. And we're continuing to monitor that, of course, at a visit-to-visit basis, uh, because we do expect that the implants should last from a, about nine months approximately. And so we expect towards the end of the year that some of these eyes that have uh, not been rescued will eventually need it as the implants run out. I think the most uh, striking uh, efficacy statistic we have is the uh, reduction in treatment burden. So if you look at the eyes and how many injections they needed, in the year prior to enrollment, on average, the eyes needed about 8.7 injections per year, which is a pretty heavily treated group. You know, on average, if you look at the statistics in the United States, in a, in a maintained group of wet MDIs, we do about six injections a year. And so afterwards, we the six months after the treatment with EYP-1901, we reduced the treatment burden by 79%. Now, there were three eyes in the study that required rescue at one month. So they not only failed EYP-1901 at one month, they also failed standard of care because they had all gotten standard of care injection five weeks prior. So you got to ask yourself, how many eyes out there, if I have a maintained eye and I give them a, a ILEA injection and five weeks later, they have 75 microns more fluid? The answer is not very many but we got three of them in our trial. And so if you were to eliminate those three in future trials, and we think we can screen them out successfully, that kind of eye, we think we'll have a, a very good rate uh, up to six months or even longer uh, for, for rescue free. So we were very pleased with the results of the trial. Again, I go back to it. This is, you know, there's a lot of really smart companies involved in this space. And, and many of them had trouble around the safety issues. And so far, so good. Our safety data looks excellent. So what's the, are you looking at different dose levels yet? We had four different dose levels in Davio. And uh, our plan is to initiate a phase two wet AMD study in 2022. Uh, we haven't actually completely decided on the format of the study. 
uh, but we do expect to study at least two doses in that phase two trial. Uh, uh, and we're still evaluating some of the data. You know, of course, the, the, the last six months visit in the Davio trial was only five days before the academy, so that it's all pretty recent data. And we're looking at, you know, specific biomarkers from color photographs and fluorescein and OCT to try to inform us which eyes might do the best. So that will inform us for inclusion exclusion criteria for the phase two, as well as potential doses. But I will add, we had no, uh, no uh, problems, uh, you know, from a safety perspective at any of the doses. And, and therefore, you, you know, you could argue why not just go with your highest dose since it does appear to be safe. But, but we haven't really completely decided the structure of the phase two yet. So uh, how do you imagine this agent be used? Do you think it would be used as yeah. a primary therapy for? Well, you know, Carmen, I, I think it's hard to say because we haven't tested it as a primary therapy and we're not developing it right now as primary therapy. We're developing it as maintenance therapy. So what I could imagine is, is if, you know, I think, first of all, you know, retina specialists, we figure things out and that's the whole idea behind the treat and extend is how does an individual patient do a certain treatment? But, but if you could extrapolate from the Davio results, I think you can put, wet MD patients into three buckets, provided the safety and efficacy holds through phase three and we get a label, you're gonna have a significant proportion of wet AMD eyes that probably will be able to be treated successfully, let's say every six months, maybe every nine months, maybe every four months. I mean, we don't know the intervals yet, we haven't tested them, uh, but for extended duration with EYP-1901. So that'll be one bucket. Then you'll have another bucket of patients, and they may be patients who are treated every four weeks or five weeks or six weeks with standard of care. And you put an EYP-1901, and they may have fluid again at three or four months, and you might give them you know, another standard of care injection as needed. But what you're going to find out is you've reduced the treatment burden in those eyes. Instead of having to come in every four or five weeks, they can come in every three months, per se, and they might still need dual therapy, but we'll have significantly reduced the treatment burden. And then there'll be a proportion of patients who just don't necessarily do well with it. And that's going to be true of any treatment. Uh, and, and I think, though, again, if you extrapolate off our, you know, Davio trial, I think we'll be able to treat a significant proportion of patients. And then, of course, the whole other unknown, which may be true in the next five years, is something like home OCT monitoring, which I know you've been thinking about for a long, long time. You can imagine if you had a sustained release device in an eye and you could monitor very carefully any change in fluid, you could then get that patient back for either another EYP-1901 if you were on label at that point or a booster, let's call it, of a standard of care. And finally, you know, the, the, uh, we've learned you know, down through the years that a significant proportion of wet MD patients are probably getting undertreated. And that may not be all on us, it may be on the society and the, the treatment burden, et cetera. But if you have a sustained release anti-VEGF on board and you've got a patient who goes into the hospital or goes on vacation and misses a visit, I think there'll be peace of mind for both patient and doctor that, uh, that there is still drug on board and that that missed visit may not cause permanent loss of vision. So that's, again, if, if everything holds, and you know, obviously we've got a long road to go here, we're just through, you know, not even through phase one, uh, but but I could envision how this would be used. How long is the uh, drug supposed to be eluded from the implant? So we think 
approximately based on modeling in, in vitro and animal studies in vivo, that there'll probably be good drug levels for the majority of eyes for about eight or nine months. The, the uh, current iteration of the implant will probably be out of drug by a year. Though at the very tail end, you know, that last month, 10, month 11, month 12, most likely it'll, as it goes out, it'll be subtherapeutic at that point. But again, we don't know for sure uh, because the human eye is different and it's obviously larger and the vitreous is different. And so that may all influence some of the, the, the drug levels. Uh, but that will also influence things like in the future when we eventually study repeat injections, which we do plan on studying, obviously, at some point in the future. So um, what's, what gauge needle is used for the injection? So in Davio, uh, we had 25 gauge used in the lowest dose with 400 microgram dose. 22 gauge was used for the other three doses. And the other three doses for the low medium dose, it was a one milligram dose approximately in a single implant through that 22 gauge needle. It turns out we can put up to three implants through our injector with a single injection. So for example, the high dose, which is approximately three milligrams, that was a single intravitreal injection with a 22 gauge needle, but we could get three implants in at the same time. So just to give you an example, you know, in comparison, the three milligram dose in Davio was uh, three times higher than Graybug's highest dose that they looked in their, in their phase two study, which was one milligram. And it's about five times higher than the highest dose that Ocker Therapeutics is looking at with their excitative implant. So we're able to put higher doses in because of that, the three implants. And the other thing it brings up, which we're actively pursuing now is alternative mechanisms of action. I mean, you could theoretically think about having an FDA approved small molecule TKI coupled with uh, a tie two agonist and put them together in a single injection. Uh, and so we're able to, again, do multiple uh, inserts through a single injection. So that, that's some other you know, areas that we're certainly thinking of pursuing in the future. I know the phase two trial is still in its early planning stages. Um, how often would the implants be delivered in the In the, in the next trial? Uh, uh, unclear. Uh, again, uh, we do plan on uh, testing eventually using, you know, a reinjection criteria. But since we don't know how long effectively they're going to be yet, and for example, realistically, we only had five eyes in our highest dose in the phase one. So we're going to, we'll see if the next wet AMD trial will have reinjection criteria or not. That's yet to be determined. Because again, you could imagine if, if we've got implants that in a high percentage of patients are working for nine months, that might be the first reinjection we study, even though in particular, if we show it's safe at a shorter interval, you know, it might be a nine month implant, but if we show it's safe at six months intervals or five months intervals, that gives retina specialist flexibility if that's on the label. So we're starting to think about that also, which is not just how long we can go, but how short we can go from a safety and practicality perspective. We're not gonna be a monthly injection. We're not gonna be a two, every two month injection. That's not the purpose of the implant. But we may be a very consistent, say six months or eight months injection, but we may try to get a label in the pivotal trials for a shorter interval, if it's safe, because that gives the flexibility to the retina specialist. And if you've got an eye that's doing pretty well, but say has breakthrough fluid at, at five months, 
but the label says you can do it at five months and you can get paid to do it. Well, that would be preferable than having to rescue with, you know, a, a non-EYP-1901 drug. So these are the things we're thinking about, uh, but overriding, you know, safety and efficacy and speed to FDA approval are our overriding, you know, principles here. And therefore, when and how we study those intervals is yet to be determined. Any plans at looking at uh, retinal venous occlusive disease and diabetic Yes. So, so we are also uh, planning on starting a phase two diabetic retinopathy study in 2022, in the upcoming year. And we have plans to do an RVO study. It probably will be in early 2023 that we initiated. So those are the, uh, you know, immediate uh, three phase two studies that we have planned. Uh, and, you know, obviously there's some other things you can think about with anti-VEGFs in the future. Uh, and part of this will, you know, be how we perform and how safe and effective it is in, in the other phase twos. Well, thank you, Jay. This was a very exciting discussion uh, and congratulations on your phase one success and thanks good luck going into phase two. Thanks okay. a lot. Great. Great to talk to you.